we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday night, October 23rd, 2017. Kicking it off with We Want the Airwaves by the Ramones. And I know I've played that song before to kick off a show. And I think it was also fairly recently. I'm toying with the idea of maybe making that sort of the go-to to start every show. Uh... Let me know what you think, whomever happens to hear this. If you uh, have the means to get in touch with me, if you hear this uh, through Facebook or Twitter, um, or if you have my personal contact info, let me know. I'd love to hear what uh, your thoughts are on that. Big show to get to tonight. We've got NFL and college football. We've got Major League Baseball as well and a little NBA. But we kick off with the NFL. Lions off uh, yesterday. So sort of a bye week for me. Of course, I was still glued to the TV, uh, DirecTV, the, the glory that is DirecTV, and the Red Zone channel. So I watched a couple of the early games closely. Um, we'll get into some of those. I may as well just kick it off with the Bears and the Panthers, a game I watched a lot of um, for a number of different reasons. One is uh, I had a couple of guys uh, on the Panthers uh, on my fantasy team. <laughs> Uh, secondly, the Bears obviously in the Lions division and uh, wanted to see you know, how they would fare against a team that the Lions lost to that, frankly, I thought the Lions should never lose to at home. And the Bears won the game 17-3. The Bears threw seven passes, completed four, had five first downs. Uh, they scored two touchdowns on defense, one on a fumble on an option pitch that was a good pitch by Cam. Uh, uh, Curtis Samuel, the kid out of Brooklyn from Ohio by way of Ohio State, dropped the pitch. Um, Eddie Jackson, the kid out of Alabama, rookie uh, DB, picked it up, scooped it, scored. And then later in the game, as Carolina was driving in the red zone, Cam threw an interception uh, on a tip ball that uh, Jackson also intercepted and returned that about 75 yards for a touchdown. So that's how the Bears got their touchdowns. Uh, the Panthers did absolutely nothing all down offense. Uh, it's a classic cam, quick when the going gets tough game, pout like a little baby, moan and groan, whine. I mean, this this is Cam Newton. This is why I can't stand the guy as a player. I, I have no idea what he's like off the field, um, but I, I would never want Cam Newton to be my quarterback, and this is why. You saw it two years ago post-Super Bowl where he pouted and acted like a baby. Um, and this is what he does. When the going gets tough, when the chips are down, Cam Newton folds his cards, folds his tent. And he did it again yesterday. And you see him sullen on the bench. And look, I'll admit it. Did it, did it chap my ass to no end to watch him whooping it up the week before or two weeks before in Detroit? Of course it did. But that's who Cam is. See, Cam will do his Superman act, right, when he scores a touchdown when everything's when it's all going well, but then when things go bad, there's Cam sitting on the sidelines, no one around him, off by himself, towel over his head, sullen, withdrawn. Again, that's why to me he's a classic front runner. As long as it's all going well for Cam, he's Mr. Positivity. When things get hard, and I'm not saying he's soft. He's physically, listen, that guy takes a bunch of shots. I think he gets refereed differently than other quarterbacks. Certainly gets refereed differently than Brady and Rodgers do. Um, And I don't think he gets refereed fairly, to be fair to him. 
And so I understand there's got to be a level of frustration that sets in, but you can't let your teammates see that. Stiff upper lip and all that. I'm sorry. You just can't. I mean, I would actually prefer to see him get emotional and maybe throw, you know, and express displeasure than the sort of sullen, withdrawn, isolated Cam. So, listen, horrible game for the Panthers yesterday. Um, They're now 4-3. and Bears are now three and four, and again, in keeping with our theme last week, there really are no very there, there are no there are certainly no great teams in the NFL so far after seven weeks, none. Which brings us to game number two, which was Green Bay New Orleans. I, of course, for the world, thought Green Bay would still win this game. Um, I thought everybody was overblowing. Not that Rodgers isn't great; he's great. And I said this last week. And part of it, I guess, is a little reverse jinx, and I don't want to believe my own eyes, but they might be a three-win team without Aaron Rodgers. And I know it's only one game, and it's not fair to judge Hundley on one start. And I said, don't judge him on last week because he didn't even get a full practice week, right? He had to come into the game cold off the bench, and it's not fair. And he didn't play well, and, you know, and there's also he came in against a very good Vikings defense, but they had a week to prepare. Now, listen, give the Saints credit. After a bad start 0-2 and giving up a ton of points, they've righted the ship somewhat. Yes, they gave up, quote-unquote, the Lions scored a lot of points in that game where they lost, 52-38. But, again, two of those touchdowns were via a punt return and a pick six. Lions scored three touchdowns, and, again, that was when the Saints had a huge lead. So they kind of took their foot off the gas, which you can – not you know you can understand. So their defense has played much better lately. And by the way, I was surprised that their defense was as bad as it was after the first two weeks. They have a lot of good players, or at least names, on that defense. I mean, Cam Jordan's one of the better defensive ends in the NFL. I love Sheldon Rankins coming out of Louisville, the defensive tackle. Um, I like uh, Alex Okafor, who they have playing defensive end. The guy rushes a passer everywhere he's been. I, he's a defensive end out of Texas. I liked him coming out of college. Kenny Vaccaro was one of the better safeties coming out into the draft a few years ago, also from Texas. You know, Marshawn Lattimore, the kid they drafted this year at Ohio State, he was his first-round pick, supposed to be good. I mean, they're, they're not supposed to stink. So... And, you know, they've made some changes with personnel. They finally dumped Jairus Bird, who was a bad free agent signing for them a few years back after that huge year he had with the Bills. But anyway, I thought for sure Green Bay would still win. And it looked like I was right early. as they were, I think they jumped out to a 14-0 lead. I even took Green Bay uh, with the books, if you will. And uh, getting four, I thought, oh, here we go, lock. And again, the Jim Hayden sort of, you know, win-win theory. Listen, Green Bay would have lost by three yesterday. They covered the number. We get a little extra in the bank account, and Green Bay also loses. But you know what? I was willing to pay out of my own pocket to make sure the Packers lost yesterday, and that's what ended up happening. Now, Hunley had a terrible game again. Couple of picks. I think he didn't even break 100 yards passing. Um, they ran the ball very well. 
with his Jones kid out of UTEP, rookie uh, fifth-round pick, I believe, Aaron Jones. Um, but couldn't do anything in the passing game. And you know what? The Packers' defense is, is, is not that good. I know they had two picks of Breeze early in the game yesterday, and I know the Saints' offense is pretty good. Listen, this Alvin Kamara looks tremendous. And Mark Ingram, you know, I, I kind of gave him short shrift last week. He's better than just a plodding pedestrian runner. Um, he's he's a pretty good player. And they combined for about 160 yards on the ground, about another 70 through the air. Uh, you know, the Kamara kid is, looks great. Ingram looks good. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr., who I also kind of dissed last week, had a big game uh, for the Saints. Looks like Sean Payton's finding uh, new and inventive ways to use him. By the way, God forbid the Lions ever do that with any of their players. <laughs> um... And, uh, you know, Breeze is Breeze, right? He's still rolling along. And he'll throw some picks here and there, but he's still a top 10 quarterback in the league. O-line, not bad. Um, you know, Michael Thomas is good. It, they're, it's a good team. It's a good offense anyway. And they went on the road, and I know it wasn't Rodgers, but they went on the road in bad weather too in Green Bay and won. Give him credit. You don't throw back road wins in the NFL. Now, I'm sure in two weeks, on Monday night, when we play the Packers, Brett Hundley, of course, will have figured it all out. I'm sure he will have figured it all out. But, and the Packers, of course, have a bye week this week. So, he'll have an extra week off, and the Lions have Pittsburgh coming in. And, you know, here's the thing. There are no great teams right now. You know, I know everyone's going to say that the Patriots are back because they won last night in a game, you know, where they kind of dominated the Falcons. By the way, the Falcons have looked awful all year long. We've talked about it, right? They got lucky to beat the Bears on week one. They got lucky to beat the Lions. They lost at home somehow to the Dolphins. Worst 4-2 team in the history of football, by the way. In the history of football. Not the worst 4-2 team this year. The worst 4-2 team in the history of football. That Dolphins team stinks. I know they have some big-name players. I know they have Sue and Cameron Wake. And I know they've got Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker. Good receivers. I get it. When Jay Cutler is your quarterback, you're not any good. And I know Jay Jai is a good, good running back. Guess what? They won without Cutler. I mean, Cutler played. Jets were beating the snot out of the Dolphins when Cutler was in there. Second he got out and Matt Moore came in, Dolphins rallied and came back to beat the Jets late. Of course, courtesy of Josh McCown being Josh McCown, which is to throw a soul-crushing interception uh, at the end of the game to set the Dolphins up for a game-winning field goal. Throw he has no business making. Guy's been in a league for 15 years and he continues to make idiotic throws like that that rookies you would be mad at if they made that throw. Now, that begs the question, what are the Jets doing there trying to put a ball in his hands, just play for overtime, run a couple of draws or a screen, something safe, and if you happen to pop one, then maybe you try to go down the field and score. But this is not Tom Brady. This is not Drew Brees. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Matthew Stafford. Okay, it's Josh McCown. Know, know your personnel, Jets coaching staff. 
But listen, Todd Bowles seems like a nice guy, and he's gotten his guys to play hard. He is not a good in-game coach. He's just not. He's proved it time and time again. Poor clock management decisions plague him regularly. Punting, you know, down two scores with four minutes left. He's done it twice, did it last year, did it this year. And then the decision yesterday to let McCown throw the ball there from, you know, on their own side of the 40. Idiotic. So the thing is, uh, so, you know, listen, the, the NFL, more so I think than ever, comes down to do you have stars? Do you have guys that are just better than other guys on the other team? And if you look at the teams that are right now in contention and that are playoff contenders, the answer to most of those teams is yes. Right? Carolina has Luke Keekley on defense. They've got Kiwan Short on defense. Right? That's two right there. That's two stars. Kiwan Short is a star. Not everybody knows him. He's a defensive tackle. He's a star. Luke Keekley is a star linebacker. Thomas Davis is a star linebacker, right? And then offense, listen, I'm not a Cam guy, but there are times when he plays like a star. There are times when he is just better. You know, he will run through three guys. He can run around guys. He can fit balls into tight windows. Kelvin Benjamin is not a star yet. Lines made him look like a star. He's not one yet. McCaffrey, certainly not a star yet. Green Bay, obviously when Rodgers is healthy, he's a star. Jordy Nelson's a star. I wouldn't say anybody on that defense is a star. Clay Matthews was. I don't think he is anymore. Still a decent player. But he's not a star. Cobb can be a star at times. Seattle, Russell Wilson. They've got players, obviously, on defense. Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, Michael Bennett. Now they've got Sheldon Richardson, Frank Clark. And they've got stars. New England, obviously, Brady. Gronkowski. Atlanta, Ryan. Devontae Freeman. On defense, Vic Beasley, Keanu Neal. Lions don't have any stars, except for one, the quarterback. That's it. Don't have any, other, don't have any stars. And particularly, the key positions in the NFL where you want to have a star, quarterback, number one, cornerback, or pass rusher, one, or number two and two A, wide receiver, left tackle. Lions don't have any of it. None of it. None of it. Or running back to none. None. Lions have no stars on their team. None. Sorry, Darius Slay is not a star. He likes to call himself Big Play Slay, and he has three picks this year. He also had a horrendous game against the Panthers and didn't play all that well against the Saints either. That's not a star. He's a very good player. He's not a star. He's not Darrell Revis and when Revis was in his prime. He's a notch below. He's a good player. I'm happy to have him on the team. He's not a star. He's not elite. Golden Tate's a really nice receiver. He's not a star. 
Even when Taylor Decker was playing and it was healthy, couldn't call him a star. He was a rookie last year. He's a lot better than what they got out there now, though. But the Lions don't have a star at any other position on the offensive line either. They don't have it in the backfield. Amir Abdullah is a nice player, not a star. Marvin Jones is not a star. Eric Ebron is a scrub. Um, And then on defense, Ziggy Ansah was a star. Has not played like one now in a season and a half. Now, last year was because he was banged up. Maybe he's still banged up this year. It's a different injury. Other than the Giants game, he's not played like a star. Lions don't have any stars in linebacker, and then no stars in the secondary. Maybe Glover Quinn just a notch below. And maybe, and Slay's a notch below. That's it. I worry a lot about the rest of the season for the Lions. Look who they're playing this week on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. they got a star quarterback. They have a star at running back. They have a star at wide receiver, right? Bell, Antonio Brown, Roethlisberger. Now, on defense, do they have stars? Mm. Shazier is pretty good. TJ Watt's a rookie. Too early to call him a star, but he's had a good rookie year. Sean Davis is a star in the making. Kid out of Maryland. Free safety. He's played great for them this year. Second-year player. Wouldn't call him a star just yet. Same thing with Artie Burns. Second-year corner out of Miami. But they're very good. But they've got three big stars on offense. Lions have one on the whole team. And I'm supposed to think the Lions are going to win on Sunday night? Speaking of stars and on defense, team nobody knows, nobody watches. And listen, the, the league and the owners of this team, they, 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 you know, I feel bad for the players because they're out there busting their asses every week. But the L.A. Clippers, as I like to call them, nay, the San Diego Chargers, uh, beat the snot out of Denver yesterday. Now, granted, it was in Carson in that dopey little soccer stadium that they play in that holds 25,000 people that every time they, it's a whole quote-unquote home game for them, it's all the road team's fans. And, you know, they were winless until they beat the Giants. And then they won last week, and then they won again this week. Chargers have a hell of a defense, starting with their two edge rush stars in Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. Stars. I watch the Chargers a lot because they're a 4 o'clock game every week here on the East Coast, and there's only a couple of 4 o'clock games. So I end up watching them a bunch. Those guys are absolute studs. Casey Hayward, the guy they signed from uh, cornerback that they signed from Green Bay last year, very good player. Logan Verrett, who's hurt, unfortunately, very good player. It's a good team. It's a good defense. Throwing Corey Legit, defensive tackle, very good player. They are stout up front. They get after the passer as well as any team in the league. They have guys in the secondary that make plays. They actually should have had... I think they had two interceptions, maybe three yesterday. They should have had five. They dropped two easy ones yesterday, too. They were shutting Denver out, basically. They shut him out for 55 minutes of that game yesterday. And Denver looks like they're a mess. So, and with the Chiefs coming back to earth a little bit at 5-2, and two, the Raiders finally got off the schneid by beating the Chiefs last week, but they're 3-4. and four. Chargers 3-4. and four. Denver, I think... 
is four and three or three and three. We'll have to take a look. Let's go to the standings, NFL. But that AFC West is far from over. Far from over. Sorry. Broncos are three and three. Chargers three and four. Raiders three and four. Chiefs five and two. Far from over. So, to me, it's about stars now. With all this parody, it's about stars. And unfortunately, the Lions don't have any, except for the quarterback. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with some college football right after this. of Jamal about sports Monday show that of course was lullaby by the cure off the disintegration album you know it's funny I forgot that is a hell of an opening to a song I forgot all about that that was I was getting into that just now that was good all right we're moving along college football so the uh, again still pretty early but the uh, playoff picture kind of comes into view a little bit more than it did last week so uh I guess the, the two big games were Notre Dame-USC. Notre Dame absolutely annihilated USC. My man Justin looking more and more prescient as the days go by. He was not a big Sam Darnold guy, and he is being proven right thus far. Uh, another miserable game for him. He's already thrown 10 interceptions this year. It's, it's as many as he threw all of last year. And again, uh, I don't believe anybody is quote-unquote sucking for Sam at the moment because Sam himself is sucking right now. He is playing some very bad football. Uh, kudos to Notre Dame. Uh, they really just dismantled uh, USC from start to finish. wasn't even a game. Same can be said for P- Penn State versus Michigan. Now, this is not a vintage Michigan team. It's interesting now. Harbaugh was all the rage two or three years ago, whenever his first season there was. And now there are whispers and rumblings that you know maybe his act is growing tired there. Maybe he should go to the NFL again. Um, that you know, defense has been the backbone of Michigan since he's been there. Their defense got absolutely shredded and gutted by Penn State in that game. Uh, you know, Barkley looked like the best player in the country again. Uh, this quarterback for Penn State, who I didn't think was any good last year, uh, I know he had the great game against USC in the bowl game, but uh, Trace McSorley played really well again yesterday. Listen, you guys know I can't stand Penn State and especially can't stand the coach, but. You know, it's hard to argue right now. I said he hadn't played anybody except maybe Iowa. Um, you know, now again, this is not a vintage Michigan team, but it's still Michigan. And, um, you know, this is not Maryland. It's Michigan. It's a legit Big Ten team, and they whooped them. And it, that's the other thing. It wasn't even close. 
They whooped them. So, um, and then Wisconsin whooped up on my turps again. Listen, I'm sure he's a nice kid. He seems like a nice kid. He tries hard. Uh, Max Bortenschlager is not a Division One starting quarterback. He's not. He's just not. He's not. He's, and he's, first of all, he's very ill-suited for the offense Maryland likes to run. Right? He can't run at all. So why do they keep asking him to run? Well, that's you know you're gonna have to ask Walt Bell, the supposed genius offensive coordinator, the boy genius, uh, and or the head coach uh, DJ Durkin. Except he's too busy just goofily smiling on the sidelines. Um, can you tell I'm a little annoyed with, with the state of my Maryland Terrapin football team? Listen, I, I get it. Uh, when when he, when Kasim Hill went down, the whole season went down the tubes. Let's let's just be yeah, that's it. Let's be honest. That. When he went down, the season went down the tubes. Pegram looked like a revelation the first half, the first three quarters or whatever it was until he got hurt against Texas. But the defense also looked good in, in those games. It's looked awful the last few weeks. Now, Ohio State, I can kind of understand. Northwestern, again, not terrible, but the defense looked wretched against them, and they looked wretched against Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's good. I get it. But again, non-competitive. I mean, now 38-13, we're happy we only lost by 25 points. That's, this is not progress. This is not what progress looks like. And a big problem is the quarterback. He's just not a Division I starting college quarterback. He's just not. So they either play Caleb Henderson, the transfer from North Carolina, and move on. But Hill getting hurt ruined everything. I mean, Pegram looked great, and then he got hurt, but then Hill came in, saved the day against Texas, had the great game. Granted, it was against Towson, so you, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt. I get it. And then he got knocked out by UCF. By the way, UCF undefeated, and I believe ranked like 18th or 20th or something. So better team than I thought they were. And Scott Frost, former Nebraska quarterback, who's the coach there, is doing a very good job. Then, then he was also offensive coordinator at Oregon before he took that job at UCF. He's got those guys playing very well. Uh, LSU continues to roll. We talked about it last week. They went into Oxford and beat the snot out of Ole Miss. Not that Ole Miss is great, but that was a classic trap game for LSU coming off the emotional comeback win against Auburn the week before. And this would be the kind of game in years past under Les Miles where they would stub their toe. And they didn't. And not only did they win, they won big. It wasn't even close. And this Darius Juice, as I like to call him, or Guice, no, it's Geis, G-U-I-C-E, the running back, had 270 yards. He's had, he's had five games in his career with 250 more rushing yards. Fournette didn't even do that. Another stud running back there at LSU. Let's see if LSU continues to make some hay in the SEC, if they could be a factor late in the year. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at their schedule here. I, you know, I, I told you guys I'm a big Georgia guy. That's like sort of my surrogate team. LSU's right up there. Not quite as much as Georgia, but I've always liked LSU. Number First and foremost, probably because of the uniforms, but also... They always have a ton of talent. You know, what do they, they put at least, what, a minimum of five guys in the pros every year? So, you know, when I'm doing my quote-unquote scouting, I like to watch LSU because they've always got guys on the team that you know are going to be playing on Sundays the next year. All right, let's take a look at the SEC, shall we? 
And I've got the volume off on the PC, so even if they try to sneak attack me with some Geico commercials, it's not going to happen. All right. Uh, LSU, they are in the SEC. Is that the East or the West? They're in the East with Alabama and Auburn. So they already beat Auburn. So, And I assume they're going to play Alabama later this year, and they're probably going to get smoked because Alabama just smokes everybody. But that would be interesting if they didn't. Um, so LSU's now 6-2 and two overall after that horrendous home loss to Troy. And everybody was talking about firing Coach O four games into his tenure. There he is. And the SEC East is a disaster. I mean, you've got Georgia, who you know I love, at 4-0. And then you've got you know, South Carolina, who isn't very good. Florida, who's eh. Kentucky, not very good. Tennessee is a horror show. And it looks like, unfortunately, Butch Jones is not long for that job. Uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri. So none of those teams are any good. Um, the SEC East is the tougher of the two by far. You've got A&M still pretty good. LSU, Auburn, Alabama. And Auburn, Alabama are going to play each other as they always do late in the year. And, you you know, that is kind of one of those games. I know it's a cliche, but you sort of throw the records out because it's a big rivalry game. But Auburn also happens to be a good team this year. So would not shock me if they beat Alabama late in the year. Um, let's take a look at LSU's schedule to see who else they have to play yet. All right. So. They have got, oh, well, speak of the devil, they've got Alabama coming up on the 4th. So they don't, they're off this weekend. They play them uh, on the 4th of November. They're at Alabama. Home against Arkansas should be a win. At Tennessee should be a win. Home against A&M should be a win. So they should go 9-3. and three. Now, I, lo- I understand. That, 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 that's not cause for celebration in Baton Rouge. I mean, obviously, if they ever upset Alabama, forget it. They, they'll build a statue to Coach O. <laughs> they, they could, they'd upset Alabama and lose out, and they, 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 they'd build a statue to Coach O. But I think it's fair to assume they're going to lose to Alabama, win their next three games, they'll go, you know. Now, A&M is not a, a gimme, but I, I would say that they'll, they'll beat them. Um, it's a good year, 9-3, and, and they're going to make a good bowl game. There you go. Again, compared to where they were after they got embarrassed by Mississippi State 37-7 and lost at home to Troy, right? That was the nadir of their season. The comeback with the big late win against Florida, who they hate. Obviously, again, last week, Auburn. And then they blew Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss out last week at, down in Oxford, 40-24. And it wasn't even that close. You know, not a bad year for them. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with a little Major League Baseball right after this. Here on another edition of Jamal About Sports, that of course, longtime favorite, the Electric Light Orchestra, otherwise known as ELO, with Turner Stone. 
All right, a little Major League Baseball. We'll, <coughs> excuse me, do a little quick wrap-up of the Astros-Yankees series. Listen, I understand Yankee fans probably don't want to hear it right now. You're bummed out. I get it. But you exceeded by most people's standards, uh, all expectations. Down 2-0 to Cleveland, you beat them. Down 2-0 to Houston, you got it to a Game 7. And look, you guys just ran into a buzzsaw the last two days. I mean, Verlander was unbelievable, again. And then Morton was great in Game 7 for five innings. And Lance McCullers, who was also great earlier in that series out of the bullpen, was great again. And, you know, it's interesting. Morton actually, his line looked bad in his first start in Yankee Stadium. That was the game with that joke of a home run by Todd Frazier where I literally thought it was going to be a pop-up in between the second baseman and the right fielder, and somehow it was a home run. That's how ugly the swing was. And, of course, the, bar- the ball barely got out to that idiotic short porch in right field. By the way, can the AL East have three bigger jokes of stadiums? It's like the Pacific Coast League between Camden Yards, Fenway, and Yankee Stadium. I mean, are you kidding me? But I digress. Um... And by the way, the Sky Dome, although the dimensions aren't uh, as, as um, suitable, it's a great hitter's park, too, in Toronto. So you might want to take some of these uh, big sluggers out of the AL East numbers with a grain of salt. In any event, the Yankees just ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, Sabathia far out pitched any expectations that were reasonable for the playoffs. I mean, he looked like vintage Sabathia from, you know, the early aughts. Severino was pretty good for the most part. Tanaka was great after he went through a stretch during the regular season where he was terrible. For the most part, the Yankee bullpen was really good. I mean, Robertson finally, all that use probably caught up to him in game six. But it was a hell of a year for the Yankees. And obviously the future is very bright. Now you got some question marks maybe around starting pitching. I don't know it's necessarily reasonable to expect to get the same kind of season out of Sabathia next year that you got this year. There's a question as to whether or not Tanaka will be back. He may exercise a player option and opt out and be a free agent. At which point you would think the Cubs might be very interested in him because they were very interested in him before when he went to the Yankees. And they're going to let Arietta walk most likely. And Lester is going to be 34 and... Uh, it looks like jackass John Lackey is going to retire. So they're going to have a need in that rotation. But you've got Severino. You've got Sonny Gray both coming back on their contract. Not that Sonny Gray is great, but look, he's a serviceable starter. Obviously stacked to position players. And a really good bullpen. So the future is... Without question, extremely bright for the Yankees. By the way, speaking of balls I can't believe were home runs, that home run Altuve hit with the one arm off the slider the other night was a joke, too, to left field in Houston, which is also a joke of a ballpark, by the way. That, that left field is idiotic with the choo-choo train that goes around the stadium. At least they got rid of that dopey hill in the middle of center field that they used to have. Um, and parts of that ballpark, you really got to smack it to hit it out. But, you know, it's also uh, a retractable roof. So some, you know, they, And they play with the roof closed a lot. 
But listen, great year for the Yankees. I, I get it. It stings. You had the lead after being down 2-0. You won the three in a row at home. I get it. Um, again, you ran into a buzzsaw. Verlander was tremendous. And Morton and McCullers were great in Game 7. They just were. But certainly nothing to hang your heads about. And the future is unquestionably bright. Now, the Dodgers, we've been talking about it for a long time. Not to say I told you so, but, I mean, they certainly more, much more resemble the team that was 50 games over 500 at one point this year than the team that lost 16 out of 17, as they made quick work of the Cubs in five games. Um, and, you know, Kershaw sort of polished it off. Granted, they gave him a big lead, but he was very good. Darvish was great. That lineup, everybody's hitting. Um, it's, that bench is as deep as is the deepest in baseball. They've got a great bullpen. Kenley Jansen, best closer probably. He's definitely the best closer. I mean, look, we saw what the Astros' bullpen is. It's not very good. Ken Giles is okay. The rest of that bullpen is not very good. Now, I don't know if McCullers is going to be in the bullpen for the whole World Series, if he's going to get a start. I would think you stick with the formula that works if you're A.J. Hinch, and that's you know, Keuchel, Verlander, Morton, and then you go from there and you see what you, you see what you got. Now, if you might need McCullough, if you, you know, if, listen, if those th- first three games, they, he can avoid using McCullers out of the bullpen because McCullers did start a game in the series against the Yankees. He pitched very well. And uh, Hinch, idiotically, in my opinion, pulled him out after he gave the home run to Aaron Judge. Like, it's Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge hits home runs off people. That happens. That was the second hit he'd given up. It was the sixth inning. He'd already gotten an out. I mean, he was in the seventh inning. They had a four that made it, what, 4-1, I think? Or 4-2? Forget. But it seemed like a panic move, and boy, it sure backfired because the second the Astros bullpen came in, the floodgates opened. The Yankees went on and scored like six runs. But So it'll be interesting. So I guess maybe McCullers does pitch game four. And then you go from there. But the Dodgers is going to go with Kershaw, Darvish, Alex Wood, I assume. And I don't know who would pitch game four for them. Maybe Rich Hill. But, I mean, the Dodgers certainly are the better team top to bottom than the Astros. But as we've seen many times... Better team does not always win, um, but I'm going to pick it now. Dodgers and six. I just, I just think they're a better team. That again, that 16 out of 17 hiccup was just that. That's way in the rearview mirror. Uh, Dodgers are too talented all over the place. I mean, Dave Roberts has all kinds of guys he can go to off the bench in a, clo- in a late game, uh, late in the game rather, in a close game late is what I meant to say. So I think uh, Dodgers and six. Um. Now, to be fair on this show, I mean, I kill the Mets more than probably anybody ever kills the Mets, and rightfully so. I mean, they they it's all self inflicted. Uh, but in the spirit of equal time, 
Um, let's give them credit when they do something right, and that is they just announced their new manager. His name is Mickey Calloway. He was most recently the pitching coach for the Indians. Uh, he's been with that organization for a long time. Um, when Terry Francona got the job, he admitted he never heard of the guy, didn't know who he was. Francona met with him, was so impressed, talked to him on the phone first, really liked him, met with him, and was so impressed. He said, absolutely want this guy as my pitching coach. Let him stay. And then last year in the ALCS, we had him come up to the podium with Francona, which a lot of managers don't do, because he wanted to make sure people knew who he was, so he got credit because he did, he's done a tremendous job with the pitching staff. I've talked all year about how good that Indians pitching staff is. Apparently, he's a big reason why. And at his press conference today, after getting the Mets job, you can see that the guy's got a ton of energy. He's young. He's 42. He's outside of the Mets organization, which I thought was critical in this next hire. Because the Met, the way the Mets do things is wrong all the time. All the time. I mean, I love to hear, remember, all the poor Terry Collins. He didn't have any talent. Terry Collins was a minor league roving, the minor league coordinator before he got the manager job for the Mets. And all these guys that have come up from the minors, guess what do they all have in common? None of them know how to play the game the right way. None of them. So he didn't do it when he was head of the minor leagues, and he hasn't held anybody accountable in the seven years he was the manager here. And yes, I know they made the World Series two years ago. They had a magical run. Everything went right. It's not a sustainable formula for success. So Callaway talked about accountability. He also talked about being reaching out to the players, letting them know that people care. I, you know, I don't necessarily go in for all that kumbaya stuff. But what he also said is these guys are going to work harder than they've ever worked in their lives. Never, I've never heard that. The last time the Mets hired somebody that said anything to that degree was Willie Randolph when he instituted the no facial hair policy and also tried to run a tight ship and was undermined by the likes of Omar Minai and Tony Bernazard. You know, Willie would go try to give Reyes a stern talking to, and he'd run behind Willie's back and go to Manaya or Tony Bernazard. And I like Jose. You know that. And again, that's an organizational failure. That's not a Jose Reyes problem. That's a Mets organizational failure problem. Because when you allow an environment like that to exist, and you've got young players who feel emboldened to go behind the manager's back, that's an organizational problem. So let's hope that this organization and the supposed sage Sandy Alderson empowers Mickey Callaway to run a tight ship and manage the team the way he wants to manage the team. So I'm all in. If this guy flops, I'll be the first to admit I was 100% wrong. And obviously it makes sense from a strategic and on-field standpoint because the Mets' supposed backbone is pitching and that's what this guy is. This is his specialty. You know, Trevor Bauer, who pitched that great game against the Yankees in the playoffs in game one when everybody was like, is Frank, what is Francona crazy? Is Tito crazy? Why is he pitching this guy, not Kluber, in game one? And then Bauer went out and completely shut the Yankees down. Trevor Bauer's always been a very talented guy. He's also been a bit of a, a wacky guy, guy who sort of marches to the beat of his own drummer, a little quirky. You know, remember, he's the guy that cut his finger on a drone last year and then tried to pitch with it with the, with the stitches in his finger, and then, you know, the blood started gushing everywhere. But he's always been talented. But he always wants to try to do things his way. Didn't really take to coaching well. Well, Callaway extracted the most of his talent. 
know, the Mets have a couple of pitchers that are a little headstrong themselves. Now, obviously, got to keep these guys healthy, find a way to keep them healthy. That's And, and some of them, there may not ever be an answer. You know, Steven Matz, it looks like there's never going to be an answer. Unless he's going to be the Phil Sims and the Matt Stafford of pitchers where this guy who's hurt all the time early in his career and then turns into an Iron Man and never misses a start. Could happen. Unlikely. But I was very, very happy with this hire, especially because the names that were being bandied about uh, drew zero inspiration. I mean, look, I was not happy at all when they hired Terry Collins. I mean, great. Terry Collins, two-time loser in Houston and, and, and Anaheim. You know, another milk toast retread who hadn't been managed in, in forever. And look, I like Terry. As a guy, he seems like a good guy. He's a baseball lifer. I get it. Cared. I, I get it. He's not a great manager. And I give Terry credit for changing his ways. Remember, he had a player mutiny when he was the manager in Anaheim. But I think he did it too much, where he, 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 he ran too loose of his ship with the Mets. I think he overcompensated for being a little too crazy and manic when he managed the Angels to being a little too loosey-goosey with the Mets. But the names that they were banding about were uh, Kevin Long, the hitting coach for the Mets, which I wouldn't have hated necessarily, but again, I thought it was of paramount importance that they got a voice outside of this organization. Somebody come in from another organization that's had success, by the way, that can say, guys, guys, this is how we did it there. This is how we're going to do it here. Because guess what? It works. Terry Collins didn't have any any uh, gravitas, if you will. He didn't have any street cred from that standpoint. He had nothing. In the ways of saying, oh, well, I came from a, a, a championship organization. He didn't. Callaway, at least, I mean, I understand the Indians had a disappointing year because they didn't get past the, the, the first round of the playoffs, but they had a hell of a regular season. And their starting pitching wasn't the reason that they didn't play well, that they didn't beat the Yankees. Remember, Carrasco pitched great. Kluber, yeah, he had a bad start. That happens. But Bauer was great. So, and look, and they just kind of ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw. The Yankees had the mojo going. They did. So, Kevin Long was one name, then the other, which drove me insane. Honestly, almost to the point where I thought about maybe boycotting the season was Manny Acta. I mean, Manny Acta was the third base coach for Willie when Willie was here. Is the worst third base coach I've ever seen. Now, the Mets have, have I think the last good third base coach the Mets had was Sam Palazzo. Or, 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 or maybe uh, Cookie Rojas. But, I mean, they, it has been a disaster for the last however many years. And Manny Actor was one of them. He was awful. Uh, then he was a terrible manager for... Um, Washington and I think the Indians also. So he was at one point believed, if you believe what you read, which you shouldn't, but you know, according to all the baseball guys, he was being strongly considered. So when especially now you put Callaway up against those were the supposedly the last two options. You know, Alex Core, the Mets had no interest in for some reason. He just took the Red Sox job. 
um, the bench coach for the Astros, Alex Cora, former Met player. You know, not a very good major league player. He's a utility guy, bench guy. But a lot of times those guys make good managers because they're on the bench a lot and they see the game and they think the game a lot. You know, that's why you see a lot of these backup catchers like Girardi and Bruce Bochy are good managers. Um, so Cora, the Mets had no interest in, supposedly. Um, the other name bandied about was Joe McEwing. I didn't hate that. Again, bench coach in Chicago, was a former player, played for the Mets. Again, utility guy. I didn't hate that idea, but I was not thrilled by Kevin Long. Although I would have chosen him over Manny Acta. Again, Manny Acta would have infuriated me to no end. So, given all the positives, and listen, Callaway is extremely highly regarded within baseball circles. So, you take that, the fact that he's a a bit of a pitching guru, the Mets need to get their young pitching in order, and the fact that the other options were either Kevin Long or Manny Acta, uh, I'm thrilled. But by the way, Mets... Don't, you know, negate one good move by making another dumb move. And that is, don't do the Larry David foist move. Do not foist Kevin Long as the hidden coach on Mickey Callaway if he doesn't want to hire him. If Mickey Callaway interviews Kevin Long and Kevin Long blows Mickey Callaway away and he wants to keep, he wants to hire him as his hidden coach, fine. But do not foist Kevin Long on Mickey Callaway because there's a lot of chatter that, you know, Sandy Alderson wants Kevin Long back with the team in some capacity. I mean, could anything make less sense than A, not let a manager hire his own staff, and B, have one of the guys foisted on him who was in the running for the job that this guy got? So I'm not saying Kevin Long's a bad guy or that he would intentionally undermine the manager, but could you see where that might create not a great working environment where one guy is now, the, you know, Second in command for a job that he wanted. Now, I did just see across the wire that the Nationals, interestingly enough, after firing Dusty, are going to to interview Kevin Long because Daniel Murphy swears by him. Daniel Murphy gives all the credit to him going from you know a two eighty slap hitter to being you know the three twenty with power hitter that he is. So that'll be interesting to see. Watch, watch. That'll be just typical, wouldn't it be? That would be just Mets fans' luck. That Kevin Long goes and gets the Nationals job, and he turns out to be, you know, John McGraw, and Mickey Callaway comes here and is is even worse than Terry Collins. (laughs) That would be, that would just about be par for the course, wouldn't it? All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes. Uh, Catch me on Twitter at Jamal About Sport, no S. Also on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the sports this week. Peace out.